0: All right, so we're just going to talk through Second Timothy 2.15 today. That's all right. So that's just how we're going to finish. So can you guys fill in those blanks talking about hiding God's word in your heart, getting it memorized? Yes. Fill in those blanks at the top. What does it do? Your best. best to present yourself to God as one approved. a Worker. who does not need to be ashamed, and who Correctly. handles the, the word of truth. truth. Good, good, good. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so we're just going to kind of camp out and dissect this verse a little bit today, um, and maybe tie some other ideas and things to it. Um, but just wanted to spend some time, uh, spend some time here. So. You can open up a 2nd Timothy. I'm not going to do tons of reading um, or teaching around it, more just kind of take this verse on its own, but <clears throat> it's just good to be open there so you can pick it apart. 2nd um, Timothy, I think you know, is a letter Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy's functioning as a pastor at this time because Paul has poured into him. If you go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 2, um, Paul told Timothy, so this is 2nd Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my son, he's talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And so then he goes on to give a bunch more other specific teaching. You know how Paul does, he kind of brings up something and talk around it a while. Um, but it's to it's the, that theme that like, okay, Timothy, I'm talking to you as the leader of this church. You need to find other leaders in this church that you can teach to be leaders in the church. That idea is what Paul continues when he gets to 2.15. So that's like that's his thought process. I went back, even last night, I was looking like, who is he talking to when he says this? He's talking to Timothy, who should be training ministers. That's essentially what he's doing. Timothy, you're the pastor. Be training ministers and disciple makers in your church. Do all these things for them. One of those is... Timothy, do your best, and I think he would say, and tell other people who you can trust to help lead in the church to do their best to present yourself to God as one approved a workers not to be ashamed correctly on this word of truth. Is that making sense? So this is a very, like, pastor, minister, church leader. Get other pastor, minister, church leaders that you're equipping, discipling, training to carry on the work of ministry. Live out this verse in the midst of doing that. I do think it's interesting that on either side of this verse, in 14 and in 16, Paul talks about some similar like similar ideas, similar concepts. In 14, he says, keep reminding them of these things. It's the them he's training, right? Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. That word ruins in Greek is katastrophe, which is interesting, catastrophe. So, but he's telling them, don't quarrel about words, which would be a very like philosophers um, Hebrew scholars at the time we, I just told you a Greek word like it's such a tendency when you're dissecting a text to get very in the words like this word means this and this word means this but it would produce these like detail arguments about like well we're going to pick apart this word and you think this word means this and I think this word means this and it's creating factions and divisions Paul's like don't spend all your time doing pointless like I'm going to take this camp and fight you stuff with all these details don't quarrel but be a good worker who handles the word of truth well. Don't pick it apart to, to kind of make your case and win your fight. Handle it well because it's true. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Um, I think that's such a good reminder for all of us. In, in general, Like just avoid godless chatter. Gossip, lying, rid false language from your lips, Right, all those things. Avoid godless chatter. And then especially in our teaching, and our preaching, and our disciple-making, I think we can get hobby horses or we can get like pointless stuff that doesn't really matter. I think Paul would say, handle the word of truth. Don't just talk about nonsense stuff. Don't waste your time. Don't chase silly rabbits. Don't just dissect stuff to the point that you're winning your argument that's not actually real. Avoid godless chatter. Correctly handle the word of truth. That's what Paul's after. Um, so in that section, he's going to go on to say more verse 15, I like that it's couched in that. The importance, the high calling he's giving Timothy, who's giving it to these other people, is in the middle of don't squabble over annoying, stupid stuff that's wasting your time. Focus on what really matters. Um, So let's just kind of camp out in this verse, break it down. Um, Mostly those blanks that I had up top, we're just going to kind of teach through those words and give you a few different categories um, to, to break those down. So the first one is bring your best. Bring your best so Paul just says do your best I don't know what your translation says um, in Greek that's just one word the do your best thing and it's the word "spoudasan," which is not a very common word and I was trying to think of like what does that come from I don't really know but um, the idea the general sense of that word is like about hurrying it's usually used in that like make haste hurry up and do this it's like something is really urgent for you so do it do it eagerly do it with passion Um, like hastiness does that make sense so I think the translation do your best is a good translation what it's trying to capture is that like if this is worth doing I'm gonna hurry up and do it because it matters that much I'm not gonna waste time I'm gonna get it done foot on the gas to get there that's the idea Paul says that's how important it is to be able to present yourself to God as one approved it should be the thing you're hurrying up to do it's not like the time is relatively short hurry up and get ready get approved get good at this Um, so I think do your best is a good sense uh, of that word. That word diligence is another translation um, for this word. I don't I don't remember how often in scripture it translates to diligence, but that's like the overtone of the word. Um, so it's like you want to hurry up and do it because it's urgent, but you also want to like stay diligent. You know that word diligent. It's almost like a focused, persevering kind of attention. Like if this is worth doing, I, I, I use the word diligent all the time when I'm reminding Elliot to do her homework. She's exceptionally capable of it the, her biggest enemy in homework is not the homework it's the, just the distraction you know, it's not like it's hard, it's just like sit down and do it and I tell her, hey be diligent in your homework today, when you sit down to do it, focus and do it and you'll get it done in 15 minutes mm-hmm. or you can sit here for two hours I would be diligent you know, get it done, stay focused and I think that's the, the call here this is worth you doing and getting it done and giving your attention, be diligent to present yourself to God as one proof. does that make sense? Um, I just think that reminder for us to do our best, bring our best to ministry. Um, Of course, it is God who wills and acts in us according to his good purpose. Of course, his strength is perfect in our weakness. It's not about us reading all of Craig Oshel's books or whoever's books to learn all the techniques and all the systems to strategically make it happen. Use that stuff, do good at it. Of course, it's God's work. Of course, it's the Spirit's work. But I would say... If I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit to do His ministry work, and if the souls of people are on the line for eternity, and if the gospel really is true, and if scripture really is confusing to people, but it is the words of life, I want to do it really well. And God's going to make up all of my gaps, but I want to give Him the best starting spot I can. You know what I mean? I just to to give us this reminder from Paul. Hey, this is worth doing. It's worth putting your effort to. It's worth doing quickly. Study a lot so that you can quickly be prepared. Um, be diligent. Be focused. Don't be distracted. Bring your best to this work. Um, I just think it's worth doing. My, my, um, pre- I've probably told you guys this story before. I tell it all the time, but it's worth doing again. My preaching professor in college, um, who I love, his name is Mark, he read usually a, preaching bo- a book on preaching, like a scholarly book on preaching, every week. Um, and then would also often read a New Testament or a theology book in those same weeks, which is like his capacity for that is insane to me. Those You can't read those books quickly. But he did that every week, always. Um, his devotions were reading through the New Testament every month, and the Old Testament, I think, every three months, so four times a year. So four times a year, the Old Testament, um, 12 times a year, the New Testament, for devotions. Not for That was in addition to sermon prep, teaching prep insane capacity um, I can't do that, it's been a burden to me actually for years that I'm trying to get over I, like, to try to be like Mark I can't do it mm-hmm. but I want to take something from that mm-hmm. and what he said, I remember him talking to us about it in a preaching class once, and he just said The amount that doctors have to read, this is the part I've probably told you before, the amount doctors have to read regularly to stay up on how the body works and what medical procedures are and what medicines work so that they can try to make people's bodies healthy. They have to study a lot to be good at that. Isn't it worth me studying a lot to be able to convict people so that their souls can be saved for eternity? I want to be good at preaching, like a doctor's good at surgery. Like, yeah, I want that too. I can't read a book every week but I want that, so I would just say bring your best, do your best, be diligent, it's worth the study, it's worth the habit of reading, it's worth getting up early when you need to, it's worth staying up late to finish if you have to, it's also worth sabbathing, don't don't kill yourself, rest well, but bring your best to it, don't just rely on the spirit to make up um, all your gaps. And your best sometimes, I think there's kind of two sides to this coin, sometimes your best is that Mark Scott kind of drive, like get up at four o'clock in the morning and read all the books. So you know, don't kill yourself. But bring that drive. Yes, I think there's also the kind of the other side of that. Do your best. Coin. There are seasons where your best is different than what it might be in a perfect world. You know, if you create a perfect world and say I'm going to bring my best to this, you could probably imagine what that is. There are seasons where other things of your life demand so much of you that the best you can bring to ministry is is different. It's limited. I remember when Elliot was young and really sick, like when she was a baby and really, really sick, there were nights that I, I mean, it was rough. I could tell you guys more stories about it, but it was tough. Um, There were most nights I would, I slept a few hours at the most for a while. There was, around that time, there was like a big, big, big project the church was doing that was really demanding a lot of people One of my roles for it was like writing curriculum and teaching stuff that went along with it. The first time we were launching that, like the first round of what is now called an all-play series, that's kind of when that started for us. The first round of that was due at a time when I had nothing to I mean, I was, I just was giving my best at home, and I was trying to not fall behind here. And my best that I could give here was limited, because my best was going to Joan Elliott, Elliot, and that's where I needed to go. And I was just keeping up here. But what I didn't do is just say, I can't do it, I'm going to fold. I, you know, someone else going to have to do it, I'm just not going to show up forever. I did my best. Sometimes I, yeah, it was hard, but I still did what I could because this is worth doing. Now what that meant, here's why I'm telling you all this, not to say what a hero I am because I worked hard. What, what I want to tell you is that first project that was an all-play I brought my scripts for video teaching, I brought all that stuff and I worked so hard on it, I didn't sleep that whole night. There were a lot of typos in that script, there were a lot of things we had to fix on the fly that were hard and frustrating and kind of embarrassing. It frustrated a couple of people, but I was like, you know, that could crush me because of just crumbling under the weight of this, or I could honestly say, because I really tried with integrity to do my best, I brought my best to this. This is my best to give. God, you can take what I gave you, like in good conscience. I gave my best okay some typos some mistakes we had to clean it up that's a shame I'm sorry it didn't crush me in my identity I gave my best to him you know what I mean so sometimes it's like no seriously light a fire under yourself and get it done sometimes it's be at peace when it's not perfect if you know faithfully with integrity I gave my best then God will honor that I think is that making sense how do you do that huh how do you do that you work hard pray hard best like, when you can how do you find peace in that you know yeah, you have to I, th- I think it is if I can look back with integrity and say I really did my best if I know ah, I shorted on that or I was lazy or I wasted this time it's going to be hard to find peace because I I need to be more diligent yeah. but if I really know I poured out what I had to pour out God I'm giving you the five loaves of two fish I have I don't have six I have five and I'm giving you all of it then I think that helps a lot. And I think a lot of it is, because it still is hard in those moments when people are disappointed or frustrated, but to I've just got to take that back to him and say, you know what I gave you to work with. I still trust that you're going to make up all the difference. They're upset. They don't know the full story. That's okay. You do. I think, But that's hard. It's easier to say than to do. But I think you've got to bring it to him and let him minister to that part of you. And again, if you can really, with integrity, know there's not a gap there, that helps shore it up differently. I think that makes it easier to hear his affirmation when I know I really did my best. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think of verse Galatians six nine. He goes, "Know this verse." Paul says, "Don't grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up." I think that's a good verse for this. Like, be hasty, be diligent, be focused (laughs) on doing your best. Don't give up in doing good. You may not see it right now, but I'm really God. I'm bringing you my faithfulness. I'm doing my best. He'll bring a harvest at the right time. Kathy and I were talking about this earlier today. It was something we're working on. It's like, man, we're not seeing the fruit we thought we'd see. We're not seeing the result we thought we'd see yet. But I'm I'm confident. We've brought our best to this. We've worked hard at this for a long time. We were prepared. We were ahead of the curve. We've done everything right. The result hasn't come yet. But I'm giving him, we're giving him what I know is our best. So, God, you're going to have to do it. There's nothing more I can do. But... I'm I'm confident i will do it. Does that make sense? Um, Okay. Uh, Let's see. Next one. Fix your focus. Fix your focus. Um, So it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Um, That word approved in in this verse gives that idea of tested and approved. That's why those words are under there. Not just like, yeah, I approve of that, but like I evaluated it. I measured it. I took everything into account. Yes, I approve of this with full knowledge of what it is. Does that make sense? It's not just like, you're great because I love you. It's like, no, I know who you are. I know what you bring. I've seen it. I approve of that. And that's what Paul says. Hey, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as somebody that he can say, I know your heart and I approve. Now, you know where we get that is because Jesus stands in our behalf, right? Like you can't bring your perfection to him for his approval. You can't do it. You can bring your submission to him, to his lordship, and he approves of that. But I I like, I think that, I give that caveat to say, that can be burdensome. To be like, I should be perfect, so he approves of me. That's not how he functions. But I do like this kind of call up into ministry life of like, no, he is looking to see. I called you to this life. Are you going to bring me your diligence that we can work with? I think God's looking for, no, present to me something. That I approve of for this work because this work matters a lot now again you can't be perfect you won't be he called you and we all know the reasons that he shouldn't have called me right I know all those things so does he he approved of that what he wants is me to bring it to him so that I'm giving him something he can look at and say yes this is the heart that I want to work with does that make sense Um, but I like that he's he's testing this he's testing what we bring so bring it all let him see it let him have it he knows what who you are um, to work with and um, he'll assess that and improve it. What I would say is, especially with that, um, this approval piece, whose approval are you looking for? I think that's such a core question to this because it can be burdensome to say, I've gotta be somebody approved for this work. That's gonna be so hard to do because I know my imperfections. It's also gonna be hard to do if I'm looking for Kyle's approval and Tim's approval and Steve's approval and Matt's and Carl's approval and your guys's approval. Mm-hmm. If that's what I'm looking for and living and dying on, I'll never hit it. It's too many targets. The target's too fickle. Your assessment is not reliable. It's not. Neither is Kyle's or whoever else's. God's approval of me as a ministry worker is the only reliable approval. And that can be scary, again, to give him everything, but he knows it already anyway. What he's asking for you is to give it to him so that he can hold it, weigh it, and approve of you. Does does that make sense? Again, you following me? But whose approval are you looking for? And if you're living your ministry life trying to present yourself to your leader as somebody approved, you might get it, you might not. If you're living your ministry life saying, God, here's everything. Will you let me serve you? His answer is yes. He will approve of that. If you give that to other people, they may not love your personality. They may not like your style. They may do it different. They may be just mean. They may not be speak the same love language you do and it'll be hard for you to receive their affirmation. It's always going to be fickle. If you present yourself to God, He'll say, "Thank you for giving me your heart. Let's do this thing." So, whose approval you're looking for? Um, he'll always find it. Uh, he'll, he'll always approve of a submitted, humble heart given fully to Him. That's what He. Um, that's what He approves of. I remember early on when I was working here as an intern. I had this little office up on the fifth floor in the main building where the preaching offices used to be. And it literally was a closet, like a pass-through closet, that they put a desk in, and that's where the intern sat. And um, I would just sit up there for hours and hours and hours a day. And someday I would see Debbie, and I would see... Uh, every day I would see Debbie, and I would see Laura, who was Kyle's assistant at the time. And a lot of times I was all... The only people I would see all week. And they are wonderful people to see, but that was it. <laughs> you know, those two people all week. And I would sit up there, and I would... Um, my main responsibility was take the sermon that was preached on Sunday on Monday morning, reduce it to a single page outline post it on the internet for other preachers to use if they want to and as a study guide to go along with people who listen to the sermon and then come up with four or five discussion questions based on that sermon so I could do, if I got in on Monday at 9 I could be done at 9.45, you know, maybe that was my job and then it was like basically fill your time however you think would be valuable like, okay, whose approval am I looking for here? Am I gonna try to spend this time up here in a quiet, unseen place? Either waste it, which would not be doing my best and my, my most diligent, or am I gonna like try real hard to get someone's approval or try real hard to do the flashy things or the interesting things? What's gonna get? you know? Or is it gonna be like, I can faithfully study scripture and I can do my best to write sermons and I can post the best outlines online. Some days I did that better than the others in, in my heart attitude. But the, the, question, the core question I had to really come to wrestle with is, whose approval am I looking for? Am I looking for job tasks that will earn me notoriety? Am I looking for opportunities to do cool, noticeable stuff? Or am I saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do. This is what's given to me. This will be the best online sermon PDF outline that there's ever been. And that's, you know, again, some days were harder than others. But that was the question I had to deal with in my core. That, that I still am dealing with day to day, right? Like, we're gonna, you're going to keep wrestling with this. But that's the question. Whose approval are you looking for? If you give him a wholly submitted, humble heart, he approves. If you're searching for the approval of people, you're going to live an exhausted life. Um, so whose approval are you looking for? Next, I'm back your sheet there. Remember your role. Remember your role. Uh, I love that Paul says... Uh, that you're a worker present yourself to God as one approved which is that like God approves of me as a worker and that this word um, worker has is there's two things about it that are kind of um, again two sides of, of the same coin that I think are really cool so um, one thing that I think is interesting it's the same word used it's not a word used a ton in the New Testament but it's the same one used in Matthew 9.38 and Luke 10.2 do you guys know those verses that they're, their they're parallels are they're the same It's when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Same word. So it's not used a ton in the New Testament, but when Paul says, Timothy, you're a worker, and raise up workers because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. That's the kind of worker we're talking about here is Jesus saying there's so much to be done. Is anybody going to come join this army for me to harvest out there? There's so much work to be done. Will you be a worker for me? Which is a beautiful invitation, right, that we're given. Jesus looking out, saying, everything's ready. I just need people. Will you be one of them? Wow, okay. If you approve of me, yeah, give me your heart. I approve of that, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the other side of that coin that I think is interesting. That's a very, very blue-collar or lower kind of word. It's a very, like... You're hired to do the work that no one wants to do. Just do the work. Like you're out in the field doing the hard work and getting your hands dirty. This is not important work. Just in the Greek word itself. How Jesus used it was for spiritual work. How the Greeks used it was like low level, hired hand today, relatively disposable, get the work done kind of person. And I love that that's the word that Jesus uses. And one of the metaphors that Paul uses here to describe ministry life. Can you just get some work done? Get your hands dirty, do the task, do what you're asked. Show up in the field day to day. It's not glorious, you might work in an office where nobody sees you for days and days at a time. Can you get the work done? Can you invest in people day after day after day? Get your hands dirty, love on them, just be a worker. I'm not looking for celebrities. I'm not looking for fancy stuff. I'm not looking for the most amazing, the most charismatic, the most anything else. Some of those people come to him and he uses them also, and that's beautiful. He asks them to be workers. <laughs> so I would say, remember your role. You're not called to this to be—I'll be careful how I say this. I think you know what I mean. You're not called to this to be a kingdom shaker, a kingdom impactor. You're not called to this to build the next great thing. You're called to this to be a worker in a harvest field. What God does with a heart presented to him like that, who knows? I think Craig Rochelle came to him as a worker. And for whatever reason, God says, look at this thing I'm going to do. And a lot of people will be blessed. I think Bob Russell came. You heard Bob say. Mm -hmm. He came here to be faithful, preach the Bible. Here we are, right? Bob didn't ask for that. But I think because he said, God, I just want to present myself to you for your approval. I think God said, I can work with that. I'm going to do something you wouldn't have imagined. Maybe because you wouldn't have imagined it. And let's see how many people... Can hear the gospel and be changed, right? Um, you are called here to be a worker, not to be a great builder of the next huge thing. You might do that. You're called to be a worker. Remember your role. That's the primary thing we're called to here. Um, and I think that's a big, 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 big deal. Um, you know, Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master, right? And Jesus came to die, came to serve, made 12 disciples in three years. No servants greater than his master. You're called to be a worker, like he was. Um, Spend time with the people that other people don't notice. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when people are arguing about who baptized them because they want to be associated with the most powerful, prominent, cool, charismatic preacher guy. And Paul just says, it doesn't matter who you're associated with. You're baptized into Christ. Stop using my name for that. right? So I love that even Paul had become kind of a celebrity pastor, but was saying, please don't do that to me. I just want you to hear the gospel. Jesus is the only thing. Um, we're called to be workers, not not anything else. Remember Jesus said he came to be served and not to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And no servant is greater than his master. That's his call, that's yours. Um, so remember your role. Um, the next one, silence your shame. Silence your shame. Paul said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Um, so silence your shame. So the first thing I would say here is primarily Paul is talking, Maybe maybe even almost exclusively I think Paul is talking about not being ashamed of the gospel I don't think he's talking about shame like I'm embarrassed about my sin and don't want to show my face right um, although I think that's what the word means and we're going to deal with that facet of it in a minute I think what Paul primarily has in mind is like hey you believe in the gospel that makes you unpopular are you going to hide from that or are you going to stand up for it I'm looking for people who aren't going to be ashamed but will correctly handle the word of truth, right? He goes on to say, you're going to preach the gospel and let people make fun of you? That's what I'm looking for. Don't be ashamed. Are you going to um, be hospitable to the people in society that were kind of outcasts? That's, that was a real kind of thing they're facing, right? You're going to take in um, little baby girls that are thrown out on the street because people don't want them. You're going to take them in and be laughed at? Are you going to be ashamed of the gospel? Like, that's, that's kind of the practicality they're dealing with. You're going to live a gospel life that's going to get you made fun of by people. Paul says, I'm looking for people who are unashamed. And so I, I think that's primarily what I want to call us into with this word. Again, is not, not a, we'll get there, but not just to like deal with your sins so that you don't hide in shame. Yes, what Paul is saying is the life you're called to is not culturally popular, is not culturally relevant, will probably get you made fun of at some level or at least make you feel weird or like you're missing out. Are you ashamed of the gospel or are you going to live it? And that's what Paul's inviting them to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I don't know where, where that hits you. And I think in the big sense, we would all be like, super proud of being a Christian. I'm not going to hide it. It's on my bio. It's in, you know We'll talk about it. And that's great. Do that stuff. Don't stop doing that stuff. Um, you know, I don't think any of us would be like, if somebody asked you, are you a Christian? Ah, no. Like, I don't think we're going to be afraid. Partially because of where we live and it's not super dangerous. There are some places maybe where you might be tempted, though, right? Like, are you you one of those Christians? Like, well, no, I don't really do religion. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe you need to be smart in how you word it. But I think Paul would just say, don't be ashamed of the gospel that you believe. Don't be ashamed of the truth you hold to. This is eternally true. Find a way to stand boldly for it. I just want to, I, I think this would go without saying. I just want to remind you and call you. Um, I'm especially thinking and feeling for second years who are, this is your second to the last of week with me ever uh, in this room at least teaching I'm especially thinking of you going out places uh, you know this, this is true stand on the gospel stand on the bible don't let that get shaken because you're trying to be you're trying to connect or you're trying to be you know culturally relevant or you're trying to be innovative or whatever word you would put to it this is it this is all we have and if this gets lost or if this gets muddy or if this gets easy to dismiss then you're not doing gospel ministry you can't hold on to this take your stand don't be ashamed of it no matter what kind of setting you find yourself in or how militant people may seem to be this is what we've got this is the truth we've got and don't compromise on it and I think um probably like my generation on down into yours it it I think there's a temptation to do a pendulum swing kind of deal Where we saw older generations be so black and white or so harsh with cultural kinds of issues or sexuality issues or whatever it is, that we want to find a way to be kind and to not lead with hard truth. And that's good. Like, let's find ways to enter those conversations with kindness and with the love of Jesus. Absolutely. The temptation we easily get into, I see it, I feel the temptation. I think you guys see it, you probably know people who do this. It really is, and we can even make fun of the like slippery slope argument. It's a real thing. You know, it doesn't, it's the the little compromises that that start with, let's just be kind and let's be loving. Yes, of course. Slide, slide, slide. And then now where do you stand and what do you think and where are you gray? And that's not what you got called into this to do, you know. I think you guys know that. I think you're with me. I just want you to hear that charge from me one of these last times I speak. This is the truth. Don't lose it. Um, we are called to handle it and not to be ashamed. And if and if so many of you quoted not long ago, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against mm-hmm. you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because, why? Great is your, Great is your reward in heaven. The, I want that reward. Keep all the shame you want here, which of course is easy to say when you're not facing it. <laughs> but that's the eternal truth that I want to tell you in this like poignant moment to put in here. Keep all the shame you want on me here. Because great is my reward there. And it will far outlast any earthly pain. It will far outlast any earthly embarrassment. Hold on to the truth of the gospel. Keep whatever they want on us for it. This is what we have. Um, So don't lose it. The other side of of the shame word, I said we would get there. We'll get there. That I think if Paul were sitting here, he would say, yeah, present yourself as one who does not need to be ashamed. So be proud of the gospel, be bold about it, be willing to take the 40 lashes minus one as many times as they want to give them to you. Yes, stand up for the gospel. And also, I think Paul would say, if you are crippled by personal shame about your sin or personal shame about your past, you will be an ineffective worker in the harvest field. Find a way to silence the lies that your shame wants to tell you because it will cripple you in your ministry. You guys know that. You probably, you know, you know what it's like, you know, to feel that. And to not bring yourself fully into a room because you're hiding So the biggest thing, obviously, is don't have things you're hiding Um, because that really will cripple you, and you felt that, and you know it. When you have things you're hiding, you just can't walk without limping, and it'll limit you. Um, The other thing is if you've confessed and repented and given it to Jesus, then he says, I have cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and it has gone from you. And don't live in it and silence the lies that tells you that you're still stuck in it or that you're still named by it or that you're still defined by it. That's a lie, and it's shame that will cripple you. And Paul says, be unashamed so that we can be workers in the harvest field. Find ways to silence that shame, whether it's counseling, whether it's just like prayerfully, boldly declaring the truth, I am forgiven and I'm a child of God regularly. I I don't know how you need to do it, but silence the lies that shame tells you to keep you walking with a limp. Because we're not called to do that. We're called to have our foot on the gas and hurry to do our best, right? To present ourselves to God as one approved. Um, so find ways to silence that. One thing I think is interesting when I think about shame in this culture. Again, it's a different. Our, our probably first thought is thinking individual. Their probably first thought is like, you would be ashamed if you were an outsider. You would be ashamed if you didn't fit the norm. You would be ashamed if you weren't part of the prevailing culture. That wouldn't just be like, I feel lonely personally. It would be, I am an outcast from society. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? There's a a different level. And so I love that um, Paul doesn't explicitly get into long-form teaching on this, I think because he knows they get it. When Paul says, you don't need to be ashamed. I even like that language. He's not saying, like, find a way to not feel ashamed. He says, be someone who doesn't need to be. So I think for one, again, if we're going to the personal application, which is probably not Paul's primary, he would say don't have things you're hiding and you don't need to be ashamed. The next thing he would say is in this culture, you would feel shame if you were a societal outcast or if you were a minority or if you were different than the norm, but Paul would say you don't need to be ashamed, why would that be? Because you belong to something. If you're weird for following the gospel or weird for, be, for your holiness, you might be outcast of Ephesian society, Timothy, but you're part of the universal family of God. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be ashamed because you have a people. You have a society. You have belonging. You're not an outcast. We have each other. So you might go all the way across the country to North Carolina or Paris or wherever you go and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. But even if you feel alone there, you won't be. You're part of the universal family of God. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to feel alone. You don't need to feel like you're the only one fighting for holiness. You're not. You don't need to be ashamed. We're together. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so think communally, not just individually, because I think that's what Paul would have thought. Um, okay. Making sense? You ready for the last one? Uh, the next one. Wield your weapon. Wield your weapon. Um, Paul says that we should correctly handle the word of truth. Correctly handle um, the word for that in Greek, correctly handling the word of truth, is a compound word, which means it's two words put together to form one new word. So, only time it's used in the New Testament is here, um, and it could mean some. Um, some translations may even have this. It could mean like to divide rightly, like to cut correctly in the correct places. So, um, one application of that would be like if you're preaching and teaching, and you're kind of breaking up books of the Bible to teach to people. Do a good job. Do it with integrity. Don't just pull a random verse out because it fits what you want to say. Divide it up correctly so that you're presenting it with integrity. I think that's part of what Paul means. Um, another thing I think is interesting, the two words that could be put together there, one of them is ortho. So, like, what is the thing that makes our teeth straight? The field of, like, practice? Orthodontics, right? That's because you're taking your teeth and making them straight. You're straightening them. Orthodontics. Does that makes sense? from Greek so that's the first part of it the next one is a word for like really sharply cutting Uh, it's it's a of a um, like a different form of that word is what's used in Hebrews 4.12 which I quoted earlier the word of God is living and active sharper Mm -hmm. than any double-edged sword that word sharper is the same as the second half so it's like um, get it straight cut it sharp is kind of the the two words that are combined here does that make sense are you following my train of thought So I think that's so interesting. That's why I put those two words there, sharp and straight, sharp and straight. So I do think it's like, yes, pick right passages, treat them with integrity, don't pull verses out of context. I think that's part of it. But I love the idea of this like a sharp kind of cutting. It's not just like a grabbing or mangling scripture passages. It's not even like a, um, I don't know, just having a lot of it. The idea of it like sharply cutting, you know, think of like a, like I can get a saw that I have like to cut tree branches, and that'll cut stuff, and relatively accurately. <clears throat> but that's way different than the cut you can make with like an exacto knife or a utility knife. It's a different kind of thing, and it makes less mess, by the way. Um, I just think it's interesting that Paul puts those words together. When you're handling Scripture, cut it sharply. Like, be careful, be purposeful. That's the other thing I, I would do if I've got a really, really sharp, precise kind of cut. I've got to kind of focus and hone in and look close and be sharp. You know, if it's like you've got an axe, you're swinging. If you've got a utility knife, you're slicing. You know what I mean? If you're doing surgery, it's like you got to be right on. I think that sharpness is a great image to bring to our handling of Scripture. It's not just like cut it, piece it together. Like you got to get in there and be sharp with how you handle it. Um, <clears throat> we would use that word sharp, you know, also to mean like smart. So it's not exactly what Paul means by sharp. I think he meant a sharp blade. But I think the metaphor applies. Have a sharp mind when you're doing this too. (coughs) Be thoughtful. Be well studied. Um, Be prepared. Bringing our sharpness to the text matters. Um, Be a student, because in order to be able to straightly cut with sharpness and precision, what you have to say and what you have to communicate, it takes attention, preparedness, thoughtfulness, thoroughness. You got to be ready to handle it. You know? Does that make sense? You with me? (coughs) I. um, I think of I think, hey Kathy, could you pour me some water I, I don't know I put it in my office probably <clears throat> um, so I was thinking of Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> as I often do and <clears throat> you know one of the things he says when Luke is trying to learn how to use a lightsaber do you remember this? they're on the Millennium Falcon and um, he says this is the weapon of a Jedi Knight it's not as clumsy or random as a blaster it's a more elegant weapon from a civilized age, he says. Like so, I think of that because that's like, I, I mean, it's silly and being corny, obviously, but I think of scripture like that. If it is scripture, is at least in part the sort of the spirit. Paul says the sort of the spirit is the word of truth, which mm-hmm. is like everything God says and does and who He is. Part of which is this. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to bring out our weapon that we have to correctly handle, to do some precise cutting in people's lives because it's living and active and penetrates to divide soul and spirit and joints and marrow, judges the thoughts, the adjectives, the heart, if that's what we have to bring to the world, then I don't want to be clumsy and random. I want to be precise, and I want to know what I'm doing, and I want to know what I'm aiming at, and I want to be in control of it, and I want to handle it with integrity. Because every time you handle it, you're teaching people something, not just about the passage you're explaining, but how you explain it. I've talked to you guys about this some, right? <clears throat> it's not just that we open up Scripture and teach you something from the Scripture, but how I teach you something from Scripture teaches how you study Scripture. Every time you open Scripture with people, you're showing them this is an appropriate way to open God's Word and learn from it. So how you present it, how you handle it, is a big deal. It's beyond even just that moment. It's teaching people, when you go home today, this is a way that you handle Scripture. So I would tell you, handle it straightly. Handle it sharply. Handle it right. Because when people go home, if they're taught to handle Scripture in a random and clumsy way, they're going to have a random and clumsy understanding of who God is. Now, the Holy Spirit's big enough to redeem all kinds of stuff. But I want to do my best to be a really useful tool in the hand of God. So that the people who sit with me can go home and say, I open the book and I learn how to read it. And I understand more than I did before. Because now God is alive to me more than he was before. Jesus is more real than he was before. This makes more sense than it did before. And the the biggest way that comes is from God's spirit helping people. I think one of the next biggest ways that comes is by the shepherds of the flock. Saying, let me correctly handle this for you. So that you see how to do it. And don't walk away impressed that I can do it. But you walk away with a precisely given piece of God's word so that you now see how it can fit in other places. Does that make sense? Um, I'm probably stretching this metaphor beyond its bounds a little. But wield your weapon well. And don't be random and clumsy with it because I think it can do damage. um, But handle it really, really well. Uh, I think it's worth doing. Okay. Questions or thoughts? What do you think, uh, I get like the rightly part, but the divide part, what do you think he's talking about dividing? Yeah. Because like I, in my understanding, it's like this is, is he? are you trying to divide, this is what it means, <coughs> and this is what it doesn't mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. Um, you're like parsing out meaning so that it makes sense and packages for people. I do think it also probably is, you know, He would have been thinking about the Old Testament. I think he would have thought, if you've got all this scripture, if you've got the word of truth, which is the life of Jesus, take pieces of it out that you can explain well. I think that's probably what he has in mind. It's a little weird. The The other thing he's doing, remember what's on either side of this, is he's told him, don't get in caught in this godless chatter about words that don't make any sense, and you're picking up on these little details and creating divisions about it. He would say, no, correctly, you can let's have conversations about it and you can't just talk about the whole scripture the whole life of Jesus every time you talk Mm -hmm. but handle it correctly don't break it down into fighting words but break it down into sections break it down into chunks into pieces yeah that are healthy helpful yeah I think that's what he has in mind Mm -hmm. it's a little different because he doesn't have the book so he's not thinking and he doesn't write sermon series so he's not doing it the same way we do Mm -hmm. but I do think those are good applications for My other thought was like, (coughs) this may be a stretch, but Mm -hmm. my mind went to like when Jesus draws a line in the sand with the, um, the woman brought before him, so I don't know if you have any thoughts about that you mean like that being like a dividing <laughs> yeah kind of or why do you think he did that because <clears throat> i think it says he drew a line but then it says he also wrote something yeah i think he just drew stuff they don't know what yeah, he but what he did it could, it could be come. could have been a line it could have been a word could, some people have said i think maybe he was writing the sins of the Pharisees standing there mm-hmm. i don't know about that <laughs> but i don't know yeah i don't know i i don't know what What else, Shouldn't be ashamed of that, right? Mm -hmm. In the right times and the right places. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Love you guys. Okay. Let me pray. God, thanks for our day and our time together. Thank you for your word um, in the person of Jesus. Thank you for your word. in the scripture that we have preserved for us thank you that it is true Uh, help us to handle it well thank you for the power you fill it with and that we got to kind of soak in that today and just reciting scripture that's now hidden deep in our heart i pray that you would keep your word um, that talks about hiding your word in our in our hearts so that we might not sin against you i pray that that would be some of the primary fruit of this not an assignment or feeling accomplished that it got done or feeling proud that they did it well Certainly not comparing to one another, um, but that some of the primary fruit would be God's Word living and active in our heart so that we might not sin against you, but might become more holy and more like Jesus than we were before. I really do believe that your Word has that power, um, so we just call on that today. I'm calling you to be alive and active in it. Um, God, help us to be diligent. Help us to do this work well. Um, I don't know if we can be Mark Scott's, but um, help us to learn a lesson from someone like that about what it is to be diligent, to do our best, to be in haste, to do a good job at this calling. Um, Just help us take it seriously enough to work hard at it. Um, Help us remember that you're the only one our approval comes from, though. No matter how hard we work or how well we do or don't do, we can look at you and say, I've given you my whole heart. And I think you say, thank you, I love you, I'm proud of you, let's keep going. So help us to give you our whole hearts. Um, Convict us quickly when we're looking at others or at humans for our approval. Um, Forgive us, convict us quickly when we're too shaken by people's criticism (coughs) or critique. And help us turn to you for that. Um, God, thank you for calling us to this life and this work. Um, There's so many challenges about it navigating you know cultural innovation and stuff with wisdom is difficult we just need your spirit of wisdom to fill us with all truth and peace and we want to do this well and we can't do it without your help so help us god Uh, but we're grateful that you called us to this life we want to honor you with it god as we eat lunch today uh, give our bodies the strength we need to do what you have in store for us today help us encourage one another and build each other up help us enjoy our time together and laugh a lot and have light hearts and have serious conversation and the right mix of both Um, Just let this be a room, let this be a community where your presence can come easily because we welcome you not just with our words but with our attitudes and with our humility and with our holiness. We just welcome you here. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.